0: Let me just do a little bit of a quiz with you. Here we go. Summertime trivia. Carnivores eat meat. What do you call the animals that eat fruit? Are they an omnivore, frugivore, sweetivore, grainivore, gumnivore? One of those is true. Do you have a guess? what did you say? Frugivore is absolutely right. Very good. What is a waddle? a duck's tail feathers because it helps them to waddle clump of hair at the end of the donkey's tail because it's used to swat flies hanging flesh from a turkey's neck cola bear's pouch or a measurement of an electric shock you get a waddle which one? yeah that's what it is here we go country where French poodles originated France, French New Guinea, Germany, Italy, Switzerland, Canada it's so easy Canada. no which one? French New Guinea. No. Germany is absolutely right. Yep, that's why they're called French poodles. I don't know. I have no idea. Number one vacation destination in the United States as of last year. New Orleans, Vegas, Orlando, New York City, Washington, Nashville, Hershey, or Ono? Ono is right. No. No, No, it's not. No, it's not. Which one do you think it is? Washington, D.C.? No. What would you say? Orlando because of Disney and all those. No. <laughs> Vegas. No. Not Orlando. You got to narrow it down. Nobody's ju- nobody's saying Hershey. Okay. It is. Some are saying it is New York City, according to TripAdvisor. Number one reason why people leave their jobs is because of money. Advancement opportunities are better, closer to home, job-life balance. Not enjoy the work, a bad boss, not what they expected, better benefits. Or the above. Yeah. <laughs> Number one, though. Number one. What do you think it is? Better. Pardon me. Better benefits. better benefits is not right. Those who were surveyed over thirty one percent chose this one. The rest of the, the rest which one? No. What about work? No. No. Money no. <laughs> Gotta narrow it down. You're really close. Thirty one percent said it was a bad boss. Just a bad, bad boss. Um, Bible character who both broke 300 pitchers, Gideon, it's Gideon absolutely, first musician mentioned in the Bible Abel, Seth, Lamech, Jubal, Tubal, Aaron or David it's not Abel it is Jubal, Jubal, here we go site of first miracle that Jesus performed when he was on earth Cana, yep the, the water into wine This one, name or names that are used for the devil in the Bible. All of the above plus more. Let's talk about that. We're in, where did I say we're at? Ezekiel. No, Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah. We'll do Ezekiel next week. Isaiah 14. Here's where we're going to start. Just read a little bit of a section. Isaiah 14. Look down at verse 12. There's the statement that's made, giving us some insight into what happened in early time. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For you had said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven; I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also among the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet Thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider you, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners, etc., etc.? This is considered by many theological scholars that this is a passage that is depicting exactly what happened in early time, how Satan was, uh, in his pride, elevated to the point that he wanted to become like God and uh, ascend unto the Most High and then telling about what's going to happen to him in the future. When we talk about him and many others, we're talking about the angels and the spirit world around us. And what we want to do for the next few weeks is talk about what's going on around us. What about these beings? What about those individuals that the Bible refers to as angels and demons? And there's lots of questions. The questions that typically come up, are they real? I mean, absolutely, are they real or are they out of the Middle Ages as far as superstitious thinking? And so if they're real, you know, what are they like? Some will, some will ask the questions, do we have guardian angels? Where did that idea come from that many churches hold to? There are some who will ask the question, and it's a legitimate question, can we, should we communicate with angels and demons? And there's people who make business off of this. Uh, ever since the beginning of time, there have been people who have charlatans and others who have said that we can communicate with those in the spirit world and get guidance, things of that, that sort. Uh, why did create, this comes up frequently, why did God create Satan who is so bad? How, how come he made him that way so that you have all this evil that takes place? Can a believer be possessed? And speaking of possession, what happens if there is a possession that takes place? How do we exercise this, uh, this spirit from the individual? Or several people have asked me in recent, more recent years, can you come over and exercise our house? to get rid of a demonic spirit that is supposedly in their home. And so we want to talk about a lot of these questions and answer them to the best of our abilities. Um, And I'll I'll run back to, some say I'm hiding behind it and I'm perfectly comfortable to admit ignorance and the idea that I I don't have any desire to go into the realm of speculation and all kinds of information that is tradition. I want to go to the Word of God. And the Word of God doesn't answer all of these questions in thoroughness the way that some think and want it to be answered. But it gives us a lot of information. And so what we'll do is we'll do a Bible study that's talking about some of these things and what we can discern from the Scriptures. And so what we want to start off with this question that's in your notes and you can fill in what you would like, what you don't like. You can doodle whatever you like. But what we're going to do today is not take, we're going to at a couple times take our Bibles and go to like the book of Revelation, which I invite you to. We're going to be there in a few moments. The book of Revelation chapter 4 where we get some description of what they look like. And so I'll catch up to you there in a few moments. Otherwise, I'm going to put a lot of things on the wall. What are are angels and demons real? The obvious answer to that is absolutely positively. They are mentioned a lot in Scripture. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, if we were to break this down and just give some statistics, we'd find that in the Old Testament, 108 times there are references to angels or demons. And then I've broken it down just for your information, the different books of the Bible. The reason I've done that is to give you a sense that this wasn't limited to one area of era of time that oh, they really thought about it but then, as time went along, they shifted in their thinking that 's not true okay? There, these are these spirit beings are talked about throughout scripture on a consistent basis and there's multiple different texts and I didn't put up all of them but we get an idea of what some of them are like and what they're, what they're about. So we have the law, the history, the prophets as well as in the poetical books there's quite a few references that talk about the angels and what they are like and we get a lot of information just by side comments in the exalting God in the Psalms as they're exalting God often, frequently like they did in the book of Hebrews, they talk about the greatness of Christ. Psalms talks about the greatness of God by making it clear that He is above the greatest of the creatures that were created, and that is the angels. Bless you. And so you have a lot of different information that's given in the Old Testament about them that we will be able to draw some conclusions. In the New Testament, there is again a lot of information, a lot of reference, even more than the Old Testament. In all four Gospels, you have mentions of angels, and it's talked about where they're ministering in some way, shape, or form to Jesus Christ. There's a mention about demons and how Jesus dealt with those demons. In fact, uh, when we start talking about some of those those different references, we find in the book of Acts that they are very active, very uh, involved in the life of the early church in freeing some who were uh, in prison for persecution, giving direction to them, talking to them as messengers from God, even to Cornelius before he was uh, saved. And so there's a lot of different occasions when the angels as ministering spirits helped out the early believers. In the epistles they are referred to with a little bit of information. They're called fallen. They're called the elect. There's, uh, there's the clear clear prohibition in the book of Colossians that you're supposed to stop worshiping angels because there was groups of people who, who built temples, who built religious systems around these spirits who spoke to them. And so you have a lot of comments that are made and even references both by Peter, James, Paul, all three mention about Satan being our great enemy. The one time he's referred to as a roaring lion that goes about. Uh, Another time he's talked about that as the accuser. There's another time, the great enemy. So we get the impression from the writings in the New Testament about the distinction between the ministering spirits for our good and the attacking spirits that are against us led by Satan. And so we keep on going. We say, okay, there's a lot of references in the book of Revelation because God is performing a lot of judgments and the angels are the ones who carry the bowls. They carry the vials down to the earth. They they trumpet the announcement that the time is at hand. They gather the nations together at Armageddon. So there's there's a lot of involvement that's done in that latter world, uh, latter time, and that's because in the latter time there's a whole lot of supernatural things going on and angels are very active uh, and demons. Jesus Christ spoke a lot about and to uh, angels and demons. In fact, when he is teaching in the temple, I think this is very important. This is the passage in Matthew uh, 22 that we're going to be re- Referencing several times. He is teaching in the temple, and while he's teaching in the temple, this is the comment he made about when we are in the resurrection. Okay, it's that text that has to do. Remember, they come to him, they think they've got him trapped. And they said, There's a woman who was married, and she ended up marrying all seven brothers. She was tough on this family. They all died. And the brothers then succeeded in one after the other marrying her. And then their big question is, whose wife? Will she be in the resurrection? Okay. Do you remember who asked the question? This is really important to that whole story. Do you remember what group of people asked the questions? It's the Sadducees. Absolutely. It's the Sadducees. Why is that kind of strange that they would ask the question? They don't believe in angels. One of their theological points is they don't believe in angels or the spirit world at all. They don't believe in miracles. They don't. They are very um, what we would call you know almost. Um, Agnostic in their faith. They believe in God, but boy, they don't believe a whole lot beyond that. And so they deny, and they deny the resurrection. They don't believe there's any resurrection in the future. So they come up with this whole idea about about the resurrection, whose wife will she be, and they don't even believe it's going to happen. And he responds, Jesus does, responds by saying those in the resurrection shall be like the Angels, And he makes an analogy between uh, people in the resurrection and the angels. In particular, he mentions two things. Do you remember what they were? Obviously with the question, what does he say? They neither marry nor are Given in marriage, the idea that their marriage is not and and uh, cohabitating—that's not happening in heaven. Doesn't mean we won't recognize family, but that marriage relationship is to a degree resolved. Do you remember what the other thing is? He says that when people get into the resurrection, they won't because they're equal with the angels. They won't die. And he makes the comment that like the angels, they don't die, nor are they married or or, marry or given in marriage. And so Jesus speaks to the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection, but are asking a question about the resurrection. He answers it in another area they don't believe. They're going to be like the angels. And so it's very interesting that, that, how that whole scenario play, plays out. Um, Jesus is conversing multiple times. He converses with demons and you know, asks them their names. Um, I believe in this. Well, it's happened a few times. Remember the one, the most famous one? What is your name? And the answer is we are legion. Yeah. Okay. Um, he casts out the demons, and then he tells his disciples, "I'm going to give you power so you can go out and cast out demons." Now, put that all together. Okay. If there were no such things as demons, what does that say about Jesus Christ? Without being irreverent, what does that tell you about this man who's walking around and talking about him? If, they, if it's, he's what? He's crazy. You would question his sanity if he's talking to something that doesn't exist. And he had multiple conversations. He would question his sanity, his credibility, if he's sending out his disciples and those disciples are to go and cast out demons, but they don't exist. And so when you talk about this whole idea, and Jesus spends a long time in Matthew 12, when they're attacking him and saying, you know, you're working in conjunction. And what's interesting when they say you're working in conjunction with Beelzebub, they don't deny, they don't deny his power at all in that text. Remember, they don't deny that he can heal. They don't deny that Jesus is helping people. They deny where the source of his power is. You're coming, you're being helped by Satan. And uh, so if Jesus is talking about to these creatures, if he's talking about these creatures, uh, you know, and they're not true, just his sanity, his character comes into question. And you start saying, wait a minute, is this somebody that's a lunatic? that's um, self-deluded, or is he really revealing the spirit world over whom he is the Lord? Which, if that's the case, remember what happened many times when demon-possessed people were confronted by Jesus. What did they do? They fell down before him, and several times they asked, what have we to do with you, Jesus? You know, Jesus, what are you going to do with us? And so they were afraid of him. They were uh, cowering at Jesus, and in fact, some of them, they said, please don't cast us into the pit of hell, but rather cast us into the, the swine and then they run over the edge. And so those conversations indicate that either he's a lunatic or he's the Lord. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with the idea that Jesus is Lord and not a lunatic. Uh, what are the da- angels and demons like? If we were going to do some summary thoughts, we're going to do this. Okay, They're spirit beings. The spirit beings, they're, they're called this multiple times. They're either called clean, unclean spirits, but they're spirit beings. As spirit beings, they have some different characteristics and qualities that you and I have. They're different from us in this regard. As spirit beings, they're invisible to us most of the time. Um, in fact, there's texts that talk about how... And, and I should have probably had to go here first if you're unfamiliar with this story. In Second Kings, there's the story of the prophet that is um, he's, he, he's in the city and he's in the city and all of a sudden all these troops come to arrest him and he sleeps through the night and his servant is like wow how can you rest you know that all these enemy soldiers are here they've come to take you and you're in big trouble and Elisha there in the text is going to be talking about uh, what he's going to do. There, uh, Here we go. It says in verse 13. And just listen if you like. And he Go and spy where the prophet is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he, or Elisha, is in Dothan. Therefore sent he, this is the king, thither their horses, chariots, and, great ho- and, a, and a great host, that they came by night and circled the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host of enemies compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto the prophet, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And the Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray you open my servant's eyes that he may see. The Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and it says he saw, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. So he makes it very clear that in the Old Testament, they didn't see them; the prophet did, but the idea that God has those ministering spirits that are even interacting within our world, but they're invisible to our sight. Yeah, we, we have that account where the angel's coming, and all of a sudden there's one speaking, and then there's multitudes there that they don't always reveal themselves, but at times they do, and we see the angels in a different, different um Uh, appearance than what we're used to. And sometimes they, well, let's talk about that for a moment. Okay, when they appear, they appear in a variety of different looks. And so we have sometimes that when they appear, like in Genesis 18, this is a story where Abraham is at, uh, at his place, he is praying, and he sees three young men approach. And he's asked them if they want to rest at his place. He gives them a meal, and then they talk. And as they're leaving, the one young man says to him, I need to talk with you in private. And that young man is called L-O-R-D, the Lord okay, the angel of the Lord. It seems to be Christ in the Old Testament appearing temporarily with a bodily form, which he did frequently. And so he talks with Abraham, and he tells Abraham, um, the other two are headed for what cities? Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're going to destroy the cities. And Abraham speaks to this one, and he says, Lord... If you, if you find just 50 righteous people, spare the city, and they go from 50 to 45, 40, 30, 20, all the way down to 10. And uh, he, up to this point, there is no indication that Abraham recognized them initially as angels. He just recognized them as men, and in fact, he serves them food. His initial response is, let's give them food. Let's give them something like hospitality required. And so they appeared in that text like people would appear. In fact, in Hebrews, we are warned in the New Testament, don't forget to entertain strangers because they might be angels that we don't recognize. So there's the possibility in scriptures that angels sometimes, when they appear, they appear as people, Okay? You say, well, can demons do that? Because my kids, uh, you know, no, no, I, I, we'll talk about the demons when we get to them. But the idea is, could angels take the form uh, temporary form of humanity and look like people. That's what se- scripture seems to imply. There's uh, other times that are mentioned that they kind of look like people, but they don't look like people. There's lots of passages that talk about this. Um, in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus is ascending to heaven it says that as he ascends, all of a sudden there's two men standing by them, and they are called, the, while, they, while they looked, and it says two men people who looked like people were standing by the by the disciples and they were but there were difference in this that they had white apparel we go a little bit further this is daniel talking about what he sees in the spirit world when he is praying and fasting over the future events i lifted up my eyes and looked and behold a certain man is where he starts off describing it. And then he says, but this was a little bit different. He was clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold. His body also was beryl, his face as appearance of lightning, his eyes lamps of fire, his arms and feet like in color to polished brass, and his voice of his words like a voice of a multitude. So as he first glanced, do you ever have those moments where all of a sudden you see something out of the corner of your eye? Okay, and you think, oh, somebody is there. And then you look and you get more of an idea, okay, that's what that is or that's who it is, and it becomes clear. And What you thought was a person might be, you know, uh, just something moving, blowing across, or an animal that's, you know, uh, just threw you off, whatever. Well, Daniel, however this works, he sees something, but then the more he looks at it, he gets more of a detail. But his first glimpse is, okay, kind of looks like a person, but he's different than a person. And the same thing is the two men at the tomb when Jesus resurrected. And the ladies of there came to pass as they were much perplexed. There are, behold, two men. They looked like they had somewhat of appearance of people, stood by them in shining garments. So there's, sometimes they're described as initial looking at, they kind of look like we look. And other times they look way different than us, okay? And so there's some similarities and others. This is, Behold, there's a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord, descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone. His countenance was like lightning his raiment white as snow. And he was really different right from the beginning so that the soldiers fell down as dead men, the ones guarding it, and for fear of him. Okay, and so they kind of passed out totally because he was totally different. What ways do angels sometimes look different from us? Well, we can go to Isaiah 2. This is the passage, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. This is the description that is uh, one of the more, more apt descriptions and full descriptions of what angels were like at the throne of God. And they're called seraphims. The word seraphim literally means burning ones. They're burning ones, Their brilliance, the brightness, however that is. And it describes them, those at that throne, as six wings and then how they covered themselves with a variety of wings. Now not every time what we've seen so far, not every time do they appear with wings. But there are some times where they look like people but they have greater qualities. There are times when they don't look like people at all that they really have a different appearance, like this time. In Ezekiel, he's describing them, and it's four living creatures. Now, I understand they aren't specifically called angels. Okay, and I understand because some would take exception and say, well, they aren't given. They're called living beings. That's the word creatures. They're living beings. They're living beings that are in heaven that are associated with the worship of God. It seems to me that they would fall somewhere in that realm of what we would call angelic beings, heavenly beings, in a sense, and, and they look different. These living creatures, uh, their appearance, they have some of one of their faces. You know, they have multiple faces. They, um, the likeness of a man, and then it has a likeness of a lion, an ox, an eagle. And it talks about their feet, it talks about their body color, talks about their wings, okay, and how massive they are. Ezekiel gives that description. That these, there's these creatures in heaven, these created beings, that are different from people, way different from people. You're in the book of Revelation. In Revelation, let's talk about another text in the New Testament, that again talks about living beings. It okay? doesn't use the word angels, but it's living beings. We uh, find down in Revelation 4, jump down to verse 4. Round about the throne, the throne of God where Christ is sitting, uh, who will eventually, Christ will eventually sit there. And round about the throne were 24 seats. And I, the seats I saw, 24 elders, and it describes them, clothed in the right raiment, and they had on their heads crowns, or stephanoi. Stephanoi of gold. That is not a literal diadem. The stephanoi are what we would, what we understand in scriptures, that they are like the victor's crown. It's the, uh, it's the, you know, the olive branch that's tied together that you would give to the Olympic runner. So this isn't a crown, crown like the diadem with jewels, it's a stephanoi, it's a reward. It is the same word that is used throughout the New Testament when it talks about the crowns given to believers, the stephanoi given to believers, which leads most of us to conclude that this text is talking about who, being represented by the 24 elders, or pastors is the term, they are sitting around the throne. It's the church. It's the church in heaven, represented by uh, these individuals, the apostles, plus more. And uh, this crowd is there, and he goes on and describes it a little bit more. Out of the throne, verse 5, proceeds lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of burning fire before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. This, again, is something that comes out of the book of Ezekiel and Isaiah that talks about the multiple spirits of God. Um, verse 6, and before the throne there was this sea or this plain, this this vast uh, flat area of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around about the throne were four living beings full of eyes. Before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, the second like a calf, the third as a man, and the fourth beast like a flying eagle. Doesn't that sound familiar with what Ezekiel described? Okay, the same type of, of beings, a little bit different, but the same, some of the same characteristics. The four beasts, each of them had what? Again, similar to what the seraphim were like, okay, back in Isaiah. And they were full of eyes within, and they rested not day and night, and what is their ministry? What is their job? Day and night, what are they crying? Holy, holy, holy Lord God of Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And then it goes on and says, And when these four beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who lives forever... Uh, The 24 elders fall down before, and they worship him as well, and they cast their stephanoi before the throne of God. These beasts are given, in their appearance, they have similarities to the Old Testament seraphim. They have similarities to the Old Testament beasts at the throne of God, and they are involved with the same thing that the angels in the Old Testament are involved in, and that is that praise and worship of God, uh, and adoration of God. Now, if you want to be extremely technical, you can be and say, okay, they aren't specifically called angels but they are living beings, living created beings, doing the job that the angels in other passages are doing. That's why I would just encompass them into this spirit world as being probably a part of that grouping uh, of angels that could include seraphim, it could include these creatures, and it could include a wide variety of others with different appearances. In Revelation, he goes on, he talks about another angel. I saw a mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud, a rainbow on his head. His face was as it were the sun, his feet as pillars of fire. Now, Your first thought might be, "Oh, that's a Christ." You know, that's no, but he's already declared that he's an angel, and further in the text, he's told not to worship him. So it's not Jesus Christ; it's a mighty angel. But here's what happens: multiple times when individuals, people see angels, what is their normal response? Do you remember from scriptures? Okay. Okay, let's do like Daniel in the Old Testament. When he sees that one on the on the river, it says, Daniel says, all strength left me, and I fell down. Powerless. You have indications where John on the Isle of Patmos, when he is seeing what's happening in the book of Revelation, and an angel appears to him, he fell down as a, and he uses this term, he falls down as a dead man. Okay. Uh, Do you remember Zacharias is ministering in the temple and he's going to be told you're going to be the father of John the Baptist. And he's there in the temple doing the sacrifice and he sees an angel and his immediate response is terror. Absolutely terror. In fact, when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to have a baby. Her first response is indicated by what the angel says. Mary... fear not or stop fearing literally the guards at the tomb when they saw that one roll away the stone fell down as dead men uh, Zacharias in the Old Testament falls down as a dead man Isaiah in Isaiah 6 he falls down as a dead man so when people get a a visitation of the angels in their glory it takes takes their breath away it absolutely knocks their socks off that is the angels when they see the angels how much more when we see the Lord himself, okay, uh, the, uh, the physical response. But just looking, now here's a question that people will ask, are there any indications of gender? Well, we know that it's, there's no gender for the purpose of procreation, okay, um, because angels don't marry or give in marriage. But again, will you maintain your gender in the resurrection when you're not going to be marrying or giving in marriage? Yeah, yeah, we we apparently create, you know have some gender. Gender doesn't insist upon procreation, okay. And so there is a, there is one text in Zechariah that talks about two women coming forward, and these two women have wings, okay. And so there are some who say, some who uh, would conclude that this is probably a reference to angels because everything else in the passage seems to suggest this, that there's angels and they are called women or female angels. And uh, that's the only reference in Scripture, okay, which doesn't create any problem for, for us in the sense that, you know, could there be a, a feminine form of an angel and a masculine? For what reason God made just variety in, in beings, which he made variety in all of creation. Um, they are not limited to space. Okay? Angels are not limited to space and time the way you, uh, time they are. But space the way you and I are. Um, in fact... Uh, they, they can move a whole lot quicker than us. And as we get older, they can move a whole lot quicker, quicker than most of us. There's uh, indications in multiple passages that angels are really, really, really fast. Okay. Now, so I'm playing tag in the backyard a couple weeks ago with grandkids, and I'm playing with them, and they're telling me how fast they are. And I'm going, yeah, right, okay, yeah, you're really, I'm telling them, yeah, you're really fast, I'll never be able to catch you, so you better run. And in my mind, I'm going, I'm going to, in a matter of a minute, I got them. Ten minutes later, they were right, they're really, really, really fast compared to Grandpa, okay, uh, and it's, either they got a whole lot faster in this new generation, or as I'm getting into the you know previous generation and getting older, I'm getting a whole lot slower. Well, when we talk about angels, they are not kidding when we talk about how fast they are. Ezekiel talks about them, that they have the appearance as the idea of they return to and fro, like a speed of lightning. Okay, now lightning's fast, is it not? And so these angelic beings are moving with that type of of velocity. Daniel talks about how they fly swiftly through the heavens. And so you have the indication... That they are creatures that can move a whole lot quicker than us. And by the way, aren't you glad that they can? Let me see if I can put it, put it in a scenario. I do believe that, that there are guardian angels. Okay, And I think guardian angels have really protected my kids when they were little. Do okay? you ever have those situations where you think, oh, serious accident, the kid's going to do something serious to himself. I am glad that angels are faster than I am. How they can intervene, even in simple ways, that they could provide protection, if that is one of the roles which I want to think it is, that they help out that way. In um, in talking about their difference as far as angels and spatial uh, occupation, you know how they can occupy. In this case, which you've already referenced, this is one man, but he's occupied by a legion of angels, so they can occupy more space in a more confined sense. Then you and me, okay? Now, we, we look and say, this is my pew spot. Don't anybody take it, okay? And because you can't, two or three of you can't occupy the same spot. But at the same time, if we can't see them, could there be multiple angels sitting in your pew space? That doesn't mean you have to get up and move right now. Okay, they could be next to you. Okay, but they're a whole different being that they aren't limited to the the time, uh, to the spatial environments that we are. In fact, they can move in and out of our spatial environment for sight and for what we can see. They are superior to us in many, many ways. Okay, and uh, let me just list a few of those ways. In Psalms, it talks about that they excel in strength. That they are far stronger. And by the way, do you remember? God even says, I have made man a little blank than the angels. A little lower than the angels. Okay, so we are, cre- on the level of creation, they're here in the sense that they are more powerful than we are. And then it's us, and then it's the animal kingdom underneath. And so if the spread yeah you know, I'm, I'm I'm, you know, i i can't confirm this at all if the spread you say the difference between creatures and mankind there's this huge gap what might be the gap between men and angels who are above them They're, yeah much you know, it's their 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 strength is beyond compare in fact what they can do we can't do in some times where they can call fire down from heaven they can gather the nations it's talked about in Matthew how they are the ones that bring the nations together for the judgment that they collect everybody in uh, Revelation 7 they're the ones who are in control of the different winds and they come from the four corners of the earth as God gives them responsibility in the tribulation period that they bring about a lot of the different judgments that they're actively involved that they they can carry out Okay, some of these phenomenal feats dealing with creation, nature, um, dealing with diseases, dealing with sicknesses—they are uh, in battle. This—that one story in First Kings where the 185,000 are slain in one night by one angel of the enemies of Israel. Tremendous warriors, if they're put there, if if he's of the warrior class. Daniel talks about the angel quieting down the lions, and we don't want to be mistaken. I mean, seriously, the story of Daniel. We sometimes we we think, well, those lions were just really really tired, and you know those lions just had a you know a fill, and they were just in their siesta mode, and that's when Daniel ended up in the lion's den. That's just not true. They were vicious creatures that as soon as the angels release control and the other men who accused Daniel are put in, what does the passage say? These creatures did what to those men? They tore them apart before they hit the ground. Okay, so these were wild, wild beasts. They're, They're vicious beasts. And they were controlled by an angel. I mean, we struggle with controlling pets at times. You hear these stories all the time, right? That somebody's pet got carried away and all of a sudden's mauling a child. And they can't get them off. These angels have abilities that are phenomenal, okay, in that regard. They, in fact, Daniel talks about how they influence entire nations. With that in mind, we should pray that the angels really settle in where? Washington, D.C., okay? The good angels, the good angels, and you know, do activities down there. Demons have great abilities. Okay. The scriptures makes it very clear. Demons can do miracles. Okay. Uh, this is stated in multiple passages. In the book of Revelation, it talks about in the future, I saw three unclean spirits. They are spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth into the kings of the earth, the whole world would gather them to battle. So demonic creatures have phenomenal, they, didn't, they retained a lot of their ability when they fell. Satan didn't lose a lot. He retained a lot of it, which makes him so much more of an enemy, a dangerous enemy to us, that he and his hordes still have great strength, still have miracle abilities to be able to do them. Do you remember the story? Okay. Do you remember the story from Moses? Moses throws the rod down and it becomes a snake. Okay. The magicians of Pharaoh throw the rods down and they become. Snakes as well. They can duplicate. Now we we understand God showed His power by doing what in that one. What, what was done so that Moses was excelled the magicians? His rod ate the other two, or his snake ate the other two. But in the story, if you continue after that, there were how many plagues? There's ten plagues upon. Did the magicians duplicate any of the plagues? They did. They did. If you read in the text, it talks about how they could turn the water to blood. That they did it as well. You read in the text they brought frogs in a plague as well. They could do it. When it comes to the next one, when it's the duplication of the lice that one they tried but they failed. And after that they don't, there's not even indication that they tried. They could not duplicate it. But the fact of the matter is they could duplicate some of what God was doing at a certain level that caused Pharaoh and other people to discount Moses. Could somebody, could somebody with the help of an evil spirit, could they do things that would duplicate a healing? Could could a demon bring about a healing, uh, temporary healing in somebody's life? We don't know of a specific case like that, but we do know that uh, in scriptures, but we do know they can duplicate. Is it possible that they could duplicate some miraculous event for the sake and the purpose of confusing people, okay? And getting people to follow after some false religion, give somebody miracle abilities, So that they could confuse and claim that, yes, we should worship this individual because this individual was able to produce some type of miracle. Well, by indication of scriptures, they can do some miracles, supernatural things. And so there's powers there, and we understand by scripture that they could use those abilities for the sake of causing or discrediting God's ministry or elevating somebody else's who is anti-God and anti-scripture. So we don't want to be confused by saying, well, a miracle took place or something very, a phenomenon took place. Just because a phenomenon took place, that doesn't mean it's always of God. That's a scary thought, okay? Because people will automatically think if something phenomenal took place, it must be of God. Not always, you have to not only understand, and here's the point that he does in the Old Testament. His point of the Old Testament is don't look at what they do, but look at what they are saying. Is their doctrine, is their message consistent with Scripture? That's the telltale sign, is what do they believe? And so remember that, that they were able to do miracles. Remember that the demons were able to inflict great pain. Now I didn't even, I didn't even put up the classic illustration of Scripture. The classic illustration of demons creating pain and misery goes back to what character in the Old Testament? Job. What did they do to Job? Okay, they start off, what did they do with all of his animals? They killed his thousands. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, his flock, is. he said that he has 7,000 sheep. That's a tremendous amount of animals that they slaughtered. What did they do to his crops? They destroyed all of his crops all of his barns, okay? What did they do to his kids? They took his kids' lives. What did they do with him personally? They afflict him, okay? Demons have great abilities and powers. When they are, when they are allowed to exercise some of them, they can do vicious, vicious, horrible, horrible things. Um, do you ever read in Scripture where somebody's demon-possessed and they try to kill themselves? Do you remember any stories? the man the 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 boy, the man the rich man whose son is demon possessed he kept on trying to do something to himself throwing himself into the fire and in the water okay so you have those characteristics those traits that that they can cause great pain in fact the passage we're quoting here in second timothy chapter second uh, corinthians excuse me chapter 12 is paul's statement where paul says i am buffeted by the messenger of Satan. And I've asked the Lord three times to remove this thorn in the flesh. Okay? And the Lord said no, my grace is sufficient. Point being, God allowed it, obviously. But Satan was able to attack physically the Apostle Paul. Can demons bring illness at times? The answer is yes. Does that mean every illness is from a demon? Now, now, that's where some people have jumped. Now, think, think through. So, you know, we can look in Scripture and say, yes, some illness, some physical uh, circumstances, the bad things that happen, come from demons. And some have immediately concluded that means all illnesses and bad things come from demons. That's not true. That's a leap. That's, that's a real illogical and unbiblical leap. But it sure makes for good preaching, if I want to convince people that you really need to flock to me. Do you, do you know what I mean? Okay. All, all illness and all diseases come from demons. And I can overcome your illnesses and cast out all of your demons if you pay me enough money. Okay. Now, that that's quite a leap, but it sure does work, does it not? In some, in some circles. In fact, does the... You know, does the... Um, Which doctors work that way? Isn't that their thinking? Superstitious religions? If you give me something, I will give you some type of blessing or curse to get rid of the evil spirits. And so there's that leap. How do we know from Scripture, can you think of any illustration with what we just said here, can you think of any passage that supports this idea that not every illness, not every bad thing comes from a devil or demon? What's that? The man who was born blind, and the disciples say immediately when they see he was born blind, who hath sinned, you know, his parents or him? And Jesus responds and says, neither. He says, this has happened for the glory of God. Okay, and he makes it very clear. Not all illness comes from the, the pits of hell. Could they be? Yes. Not all bad problems come from the pits of hell. Could they be? Yes. And so they're dangerous enemies, but sometimes they come from the throne of God for our benefit, our purpose in helping us to grow. But my point is, demons are still powerful beings. They, um, when, they get, when they possess people, remember the lunatic in the graveyard? He's able to tear the chains off, okay? And he's, he's just crazy. And everybody in town, what's their reaction to the man, the crazy man in the graveyard? They're terrified of him. They run from him. They stay away from him because he's got this incredible powers. But what happens when Jesus puts him in a sound mind by casting out the demons? What's the townspeople response? You, got, you, know, you just cured us of our local demon that's been scaring us for years. So Jesus, we want you to get out of town. You, know, and then you just go, what? Okay. And so uh, it's, a weird, it's a story we'll come back to later on. In Acts, it talks about demon possessions. And it talks about how um, the Jews had people who, who called themselves exorcists. They were hired. They could be hired to exorcise. And it talks about how this uh, one family of exorcists come in and the demon in the, in the possessed man, he beats all seven of these boys up. And chases him out of the house and basically says, "You know, Jesus, I know Paul, I know, but you, I don't have a clue who you are." And beats the proverbial snot out of him. Okay, and gets him out of the house. The uh, angels seem to have more, have greater power than men. In this regard, they recognize Jesus where people didn't recognize Jesus. Okay. In this regard, they knew what Zacharias was praying. So in that spirit world of conversation, they were aware to some degree of what he was praying. Satan is called you know, one who is full of wisdom. Now the question that you're going to have is, do they know the future? I don't see any indication in Scripture that they know the future other than what has already been revealed. Satan, knowing that his time is short, Revelation 12, then he he engages. But how would he know his time is short? Is that because he has knowledge into the future? Or scriptures already says that from this point on and from that whole time period, it's going to last from how long? Seven years. And Satan can count, and he knows Scriptures. He's well-versed in them. And so they have that abilities. Uh, they, do, they do not have limited lifespans like you and me. This is based upon that Luke 20 passage I already referred to, that in the resurrection, they did, we, we won't die because we will be equal to the angels. Um, they don't procreate. Okay. And here's where the question comes. Where do the baby angels come from? Okay? And you know there's baby angels because you see pictures of them. And those baby angels always have a little... Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a harp or there's a bow and arrow. Okay, right? And either they're strumming, floating on cloud strumming, which baby angels are very musical apparently, or they have the bow and arrow and what do they do? They strike you so you fall in. Yeah, okay. okay um, is there any indication of baby angels? We don't see any in scripture. There, There seem to be Full creatures in their full development. Um, So where do they come from? Now here is where some things are suggested, and you hear this frequently. Have you ever been to a funeral and they say this person now is an angel watching over us? You ever hear the world use those terminologies that they are now? Is that true? Do people when they die, the really good people, do they become angels? And now all of a sudden they, you you get your wings. Um, what does that remind you of? Um, wonderful life, yeah. And uh, you know, the ringing of the Clarence. Clarence. I was thinking Linus, and I knew that wasn't right. That was Charlie Brown. Um, you know, but they get? you know, is do do people become angels? Or you know, so, some of you might say, I have a nephew that I'm sure he became. You know, a demon, you know, something like that. Um, now, here, here's what you got, okay? It says in Luke 20 that the angels neither marry nor are given in marriage. They're not procreating creatures. Okay, we will eventually come to that point where we won't be procreating as a race anymore when we enter into the kingdom, I'm sorry, when we enter into our resurrection bodies. I, I don't want to say kingdom because some will still procreate who don't have the resurrection bodies. But um, there, uh, there comes a place where we will eventually, when we get our resurrection bodies, and it, you know, when people have their resurrection bodies who are in hell, okay, they won't burn up, but they will feel all the agonies of it. Right? And they're not going to be involved with procreation okay, in that regard. So procreation stops for the human race. But it never started for the angels. They never had a time of procreation. So where did they come from? There are some who who would suggest that you know they're the spirits of the deceased people. My response to that is based on this: angels and people are two distinct races at creation. Okay, they were kept separate. Uh, there is no there is no indication that there is an um, an evolution of the species, like animals evolve eventually into men and men evolve into angels. There's no indication like that. What is man that you were mindful of him, son of man that you visited him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, talking about creation. Mankind was made distinct from the angels and you crown him with glory and honor. Uh, even in, when we talk about heaven and hell, there isn't, uh, there isn't a change in the future. We maintain our humanity but it's going to be a resurrected humanity. And so no indication that it does that way. Some will go back to Genesis. And they will go to Genesis 1 and 2 and they will say there was a pre-Adamic race. And there's whole theologies built on this. That there was an entire human race before Adam and Eve. And uh, God destroyed that race. And those creatures that were destroyed, they became the demons. Or they became those who followed God became the angels. And that's based on some type of a gap between Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 1.2. And it all has to do with two words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Remember that text? And it says, the earth was without form and void. Well, without form and void, it's used, that same word in the Hebrew is used in the book of Isaiah, talking about judgment. And darkness. See, there must have been some form of judgment because that word is used elsewhere in Scripture in association with judgment. So obviously, there had to be a race. By the way, that word is also used in other passages that have nothing to do with judgment, it just means darkness. But there's this whole theology that's created, that there's this pre-Adamic race. There's another theology, look at chapter 6, Genesis 6, that talks about, and there's this comment that's made uh, down in verse 4. We'll pick up next week right here. There were giants in the earth, Genesis 6 verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days. Where did those giants come from? Here's, here's the idea. And also after that, when the sons of God came in with the daughters of men, they bare children to them, and some became mighty men of, re, of old, men of renown. And so some say the sons of, man, of God and the daughters of men refer to angels cohabitating with people. Sons of God. By the way, are sons of God used in Psalms to refer to angels? Yes. Does every reference in Scripture, son of God, sons of God, refer to angels? No. You are called in the New Testament sons of God. Are you angels? No. But since it's used once in Scripture as sons of God, therefore this must mean that angels cohabitated with people and their offspring were the demons. And they were gigantic creatures yeah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's all kinds of ideas. We're going to pick up from there next week, okay? Where did they come from and show you from the Bible where these creatures come from. So why don't you wake up that person next to you tell them we're getting ready to do our worship time and we'll be talking not about demons and angels but talking about God and his greatness.